Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the pleasure to talk with Jeffrey Church, who's the author of Infinite Autonomy, published last year by Penn State uh, University Press. Jeffrey Church, how are you doing today? Sure. Thanks, Heath. Uh, well, currently I am Associate Professor of Political Science here at the University of Houston, uh, where I teach political theory. Uh, I've been here for uh, five years. And before that, I taught uh, for a year at Duke University, um, and prior to that, I uh, received my PhD at the University of Notre Dame. Cool. And one of the things you do at the start of your book is suggest that there are various camps that debate this idea of the individual. I wonder if you could begin uh, by sketching out for us just a little bit some of these debates about the individual, whether they are from the left or the right or, or otherwise. What's the nature of the debate that you step yourself into? Sure. Yeah, that's a great place to begin. Um, and so I should say right off the bat that um, individuality as a concept, as I as I bring it up, is, as I understand it, is really central to the motivation and concern of the modern political philosophy. Um, if you conceive of, if you think of modern political thought and how it's distinct from, say, ancient political theory, um, the real difference between the two seems to be a concern of the real relative value of individuality or community, whereas the ancients conceived of the community is in some sense, the common good is in some sense the, the, the real aim of the, uh, the purpose of politics. For the moderns, the, the purpose of politics seems to be to preserve, uh, in some way advance the interests of individuals. Um, and if you, if you, part of the purpose of the book here is to think about um, how the moderns really disagreed about this concept of the individual, that, that it isn't one uniform thing, that the moderns didn't speak with one voice about what this concept is. And so part of the, uh, the, the beginning parts of the book, first chapter specifically, uh, traces the development of this of this concept of individuality in three different stages. Uh, I argue that concept of individuality develops from what I call natural uh, individual, a concept of natural individuality, to a formal individuality, to a historical uh, individual. And before I go into before I go into those different concepts, I, I should say right off the bat that uh, my work, in particular, is in the history of. of of, of political thought, but I think one of the real benefits, I think, of studying the history of political theory is that um, the debates that go on in the history really do inform um, um, and stand behind in powerful ways our contemporary conceptions of how we think about these things. So, um, I mean, just to, just to get us started here, I mean, in the contemporary United States, this the concept of individuality is central to our political tradition. I mean, the idea, the rugged individualist tradition is absolutely central in some sense to who we are. And so part of the motivation of this book is to, to see how these old debates kind of bear on um, the, the, the way that we think about our own 
uh, tradition and self-understanding of, of, of individuality. And so, maybe, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, one of the things I, I very much want to do is at the end of our discussion to cycle back to some of these, these current things. But, but starting, I think, with this, your, your definition of the historical individual, I think, is a, is a very good place to begin. So, you know, what does this, this phrase mean? You, you set it up in Chapter 1. So uh, why is it so useful? And why is it kind of the, the central part of your book? Yeah, good. Um, well, it's a central part of the book because um, the historical individual, as I see it, in some ways responds to um, what we can think of as the deepest challenges to the notion of individuality um, um, that, that I think the, the, the deepest charges against the, the individuality in the past, say, 200 years. Um, the criticisms of liberal individuality really got started in the 19th century with figures like Hegel, Marx, uh, Nietzsche, these very thinkers that I'm, I'm studying in this book, um, and spread through into the present with criticisms against um, liberal individuality and the power of individual choice um, stretch into contemporary feminist thinkers, Marxists, postmodernists, and on the other side of the political spectrum, um, conservative thinkers, um, who charge, who, who, who argue, look, uh, individual choice, individual freedom, we think that this is central to um, the, the, our understanding of the um, activity of political life. However, in large part, that individual choice, that individual freedom is an illusion, um, that individuality is largely, individual choice is largely the product of uh, psychological quirks, irrationalities, biases of gender and race, um, sociological or structural features of our upbringing, um, political restrictions um, uh, based on entrenched, entrenched forms of power, commercial restrictions from, from, from the bombardments of advertising and so forth that we, that, that, that we see on television all, all the day that all bear on the choices that we make. So actually the choices that we make aren't really choices at all, that they're actually um, in, in large part features or forces that are behind it, that are working behind our back. And so what the historical individual does, and this is a joint conception that I see is developed first in Hegel and Nietzsche, is to try to conceive of a way to, to say, yes, we recognize, we recognize all these forces that bear on the individual in some, in some sense shape who the individual is and, and how the individual makes choices, but nonetheless to try to find a way to invest the individual with a certain uh, amount of agency and uh, self-government that we hope and expect to be characteristic of a modern um, liberal state. Yeah, and Hegel and Nietzsche sit at the at the middle of, of your discussion there in the subtitle, and they, that you uh, much of the book focuses on them. Uh, you argue in the book that they're not quite the enemies that they have been portrayed as by by many others, but in fact allies, or or what you you refer to as evil twins. Um, so this runs counter to what what sort of the, the common understanding of the two might be. What leads you to this? alternative interpretation of the two of them as, as sharing more than, in fact, they differ about. Yeah, right. Well, it, this is indeed, uh, this has been a prevalence um, or even a, a staple of the uh, literature on 
19th century political philosophy, philosophy in general. Um, I mean, if you crack open just about any textbook in the history of philosophy, uh, you'll find that uh, the general narrative is that Hegel is um, an arch-rationalist thinker in some sense, um, the, com- the, the completion of this rationalist Kantian project that upholds the power of reason and ideas in history um, and develops the last gasp of this metaphysical tradition. Um, and then a series of thinkers in the 19th century, such as Kierkegaard and, um, and Nietzsche, come along and destroy all that, get, get rid of the uh, power of reason, replace it with um, irrational drives and desires and get rid of metaphysics um, and re- return to nature in, in, in some way. Uh, and, 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 and so reverse the, in some way the damage that the Kantian and Hegelian tradition have, 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 um, have done. And that, that's a narrative that has had uh, a good deal of power. And um, uh, as, as I'll suggest in a second, I mean, I think there's, there's something to that. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not as if I want to say Hegel and Nietzsche are the same, but what it obscures um, are the deep similarities I, um, um, in, in, in their thinking. In fact, these kind of foundational um, uh, features of their thinking. And what, what led me, I think, to see these uh, the, the similarities is through an intense study of, of Nietzsche's death um, to, you could say, the post-Kantian tradition of, of autonomy. Um, and a number of scholars, recent scholars, have brought out um, Nietzsche's debt to, to Kant, that Nietzsche was himself a, um, a devotee of Kant in his, in his early period and, and, and saw him as a real um, uh, important figure for his development alongside uh, Schopenhauer, uh, which led me to, to, to start thinking, well, uh, if, if Kant, uh, another arch-rationalist and metaphysical thinker, is um, so important on Nietzsche's development, why not Hegel? Uh, and so, in, in, in starting to think, uh, uh, sort of think in that route, uh, a lot of these similarities started to come out uh, about how both thinkers conceived of individuality not as something that's given in advance, some kind of metaphysical endowment or some feature of choice that all individuals are given from birth, some kind of spontaneous capacity that we have, but in some sense a communal achievement that um, individual agency and self-government is something that we all produced together as human beings and communities and practices and so forth. And so that was kind of the route to, that, 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 led me, that led me to that. And, and it really, in some sense, challenges, I think, the, 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 the main uh, narrative of this, of this 19th century tradition. Now, I don't want to say, like I mentioned, that they're, they're, they're exactly the same, and we might get into this in a little bit, but I, I think that there are deep disagreements on, as far as uh, Hegel and Nietzsche's conclusions as to how this individuality can be achieved in in political life, um, in our in our public life together, um, yeah. and in some sense diametrically opposed solutions. Right, and and maybe we can go there now. Uh, I wonder how this this discussion of the individual relates to the state or to participation in politics. It seems like that's where the two pull apart, and how this individuality is is realized or or discovered. Um, is that one of the areas where the, the two pull back uh, against each other? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, in some sense, you could say this, the central point of disagreement between Hegel and Nietzsche and this idea of individuality is the, the role of the, the state in um, either in 
realizing our deepest capacities or in some sense frustrating our deepest capacities. Hegel thinks the former and realizing them and Nietzsche thinks the latter and frustrating them. So so the, the, the basic idea in Hegel is that, um, as Hegel says, the, the, the state is um, the full realization and actualization of individual freedom. And that may sound <laughs> scary at first, that, uh, especially to American years, uh, that in some sense the state, uh, that participation in the state is, a, is, a, is itself a form of freedom. Uh, and, and that was, in fact, an older view, an older interpretation of, of Hegel, that he was in some sense a forerunner of uh, fascism, but thankfully that, that view has been um, largely out, outdated. What Hegel is um, trying to propose in his view of um, the individual freedom within the state is how to conceive of, um, a, 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 as I mentioned, individuality as a kind of achievement, historical achievement. And as I was mentioning in, in, in laying out what this concept was, uh, that individuality can only be achieved in public, in, our, in a communal uh, setting. And so you can start to think, okay, so what kinds of communities then will be the type of communities that can foster uh, individual agency and self-government? Um, and so the, the way that Hegel thinks about this is largely indebted to um, Rousseau, who plays an important role also in the book. Um, and Rousseau's concept of freedom through participation in the general will. And that, Rousseau's solution um, um, to the problem of what he sees as dependence and inequality in in civil society that really drives the disappearance and distortion of of individual uh, identity uh, is to form a, a, a political association in which all individuals have an equal voice in the direction of their public life. That is a true kind of direct democracy. And through participation in that, in that public life, through equal participation in that public life, Rousseau argues individuals then receive back um, a, a, a form of freedom, that they're not guided in, by any particular will, but they're only guided by the general will that is their own will. And this was immensely influential for Hegel, who then took it up and saw that the that the apparatus of the modern state can, um, it, with, with its impersonal rule of law and um, bureaucracy of merit and so forth and so on, um, can perform that function. Now, he doesn't think, um, of course, it's important to see that Hegel doesn't think that um, his view of the modern state is exactly like ours, uh, um, that, um, um, that, that any old modern state will do. Hegel thinks that there, there has to be an important role for what he calls and we call today mediating institutions. That is, these uh, institutions um, that mediate our relationship between our economic, uh, our personal, and our political lives. That in some sense give us a buffer against um, the all-encompassing um, political life while also educating us in some sense to uh, participation and engagement in it. Right. So the, the idea for Hegel is that the, a large, complex, modern state can function in the same way that Rousseau thinks that these, these, a, a local direct democracy can, but only through a, a, a complex interplay of mediating institutions in which individuals take a large, so self-governing, indeed self-governing 
role in. And, and through that, Hegel thinks that that, that can be the, the, the mechanism for individuals gaining this kind of equality and hence, hence liberty from, from, from that. And hence, that's the kind of setting, the communal setting, the communal practice in which individual agency and self-governance can be um, can be uh, achieved. Okay, so that's 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 Hegel. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Right, and I was going to say, and Nietzsche reaches a different conclusion. What what is that? What is the divergence? What is the the, the inherent disagreement that, that Nietzsche reaches? Yeah, and so Nietzsche uh, in general has a much more pessimistic view of uh, political life, economic life, and economic uh, economic life that he sees. In these practices, um, uh, uh, extensions in some ways, as he calls it, of our animal um, instincts, our desire for power, our desire for greed, and in, and, and in a deep sense, not an avenue for individual agency and individual self-government, um, that we need to look elsewhere than political life uh, for the, this achievement of what's distinctively human in us, our, our freedom. And he looks in particular to culture. Um, and culture as a, as, a, as a human practice is what, um, if you heard a line from Matthew Arnold here, um, the best of what has been thought and said, uh, distinctively kind of high culture understanding of, of, of what culture is, um, that Nietzsche looks to what he calls the republic of geniuses, these uh, great individuals, um, such as he mentioned Socrates, Goethe, Rousseau, among among many others, who um, have an ongoing dialogue about the end and purposes of human life, and that this dialogue among the you could call it the great books, um, in some sense, forms a um, strong bond or texture among all human beings. Um, and that can educate and ennoble individuals um, up into that distinctively human conversation. And it's a conversation that is, is always deeply opposed to political life. That political life, um, in Nietzsche's view, instead of um, in fostering culture, politicizes it. Um, Nietzsche might have a few things to say about contemporary discussions of education, for instance, the sort of politicization that that, that uh, education um, undergoes, that he wants to, in some sense, remove culture from political life and isolate it and see it as, a, as an independent or self-standing practice uh, that individuals, uh, that, it, that only through education uh, in cult participation in this, in this communal practice culture can individuals be produced. So, in in explaining the the conclusions of your book to a to a lay audience or to a group of students, how do you explain how this matters, or or how do you? This isn't exactly the purpose of your book, but but how would you explain to to a group of students what this suggests about pursuing uh, the good life, uh, about what should guide their their life? Um, have you thought at all about uh, so that that perspective of um, so so what what then do we do uh, according to Hegel in order to be an individual and uh, what do we do practically speaking according to Nietzsche to to be an individual and to um, be uh, to sort of live out this this good life um, not not to sort of push you for a set of policy recommendations 
Um, but but have you thought about that sort of in practical terms how a, how a layperson could read this book? Yeah, sure, and that's a great question. I think an important question for all political theorists to answer, really. Um, so, yes, I, I think there are a couple of different ways to answer that. I mean, the way that I usually talk about this is that I think that the way that we generally understand what individuality is or what an individual is or what it means to, to be true to myself or to be an individual in the contemporary age, in some sense we have uh, an idea of um, being an individual as opposed to, deeply opposed to, forms of community, that um, we want to do our own thing, uh, that we want to avoid form, you know, organized forms of religion uh, or political parties, um, that, that in some sense institutions uh, and, and, and uh, collective um, forms of political practice have uh, strip away our freedom rather than enhancing it. Um, and I think one of the general conclusions about my, my book is that we need not think about individuality in that way as, um, as what I call atomistic. That is, we're all little atoms who are divided from one another and divided from our communities. And to be true to ourselves, we need to just get in touch with the little atom that we're uh, that constitutes us. Um, but in some sense, I, I put forward a, a, a different, sometimes called an expressive view of individuality. The individual and communities is that the communities that we belong to, in some sense, are deeply constitutive of, of who we are. So another way to think about this is we usually conceive of our the relationship with our political lives um, in terms of an economic Model that as we conceive of our associations with political parties, political institutions, in the same way that we think about voluntary contracts that we can make and unmake at will. But there are other ways to think about individual freedom um, uh, that, that you can think about uh, different forms of association, such as things like friendship and family. That these are forms of community in some sense that don't m m mesh with the model of. Uh, economic association um, that we can just make or make uh, a form of friendship at will, and that we're freer when we're no longer part of that friendship. In some sense, participating in that um, community makes us more of who we are uh, than than we would otherwise be. And so, I think that that that's generally the idea uh, that the, the, the takeaway message here is that um, for these kinds of thinkers, the main thrust of historical individuality is that. Individuals can only really truly be who they are through some kind of um, relationship with others, um, and that takes these these very different forms. Hegel is very emphatic that politics that we need to get out and reform our political order, uh, and that that doesn't mean become populists and destroy um, organized forms of order, but in fact to reform those 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 organizations. Uh, and for Nietzsche, uh, means not. Um, undermining the high ends of, of education um, and, and of culture, but upholding the classics, upholding the great books, um, and so forth. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed the book, and, and this has been uh, uh, quite a year for you in addition to getting uh, tenure. Uh, this book was, was awarded from the Political Theory section of the American Political Science Association, the first book award, and so there are lots of congratulations for you What's next? What's what's the next project after this clear success? 
Oh, well, first of all, thanks, thanks so much. That's really kind of you to say. It was a, a huge surprise and, and honor. Um, and, yes, uh, so next up, I'm going to continue uh, with my interest, I might say, obsession with Nietzsche. Um, and um, I'm going to further investigate this notion of culture um, and its relationship to politics. Um, culture is, is, a, is a category that runs throughout um, analyses of politics. It, it, it ends up in, in social science um, quite a bit as a, as a kind of category of thinking um, about how to understand um, the way political agents act, uh, understanding in terms of, of a kind of cultural variable. And I, I, I'm looking in particular, my next project is uh, uh, looking in particular at um, debates in um, multiculturalism and uh, cultural nationalism, which uh, multiculturalism and cultural nationalism have come under heavy fire recently. Um, some some have said that the, the, the recurring line, that multiculturalism is dead in Europe, um, and there's a... Um, with a growing rise of of a of a of a of the right wing in 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 several parts of Europe, the question of nationalism has has come again to the forefront. And so I think this all uh, I think is uh, incumbent upon us to look back at the origins of what this concept of culture is um, and how we can conceive of it in some sense better than we than we have been in say this past twenty thirty years of contemporary liberal theorizing about about uh, culture and so with the current book project and maybe about 75 percent done um it, it starts with looking at the original debate about culture that, that our contemporary concept of culture originated with Kant and Herder um two late 18th century German philosophers who um uh, both agreed in certain deep ways about what culture is and what role it plays in politics, uh, but also disagreed, and the disagreements sort of raged throughout the 19th century and then was picked up, and I argue, in some sense decisively answered by, by Nietzsche, who provides this most mature conception of culture that I think in many ways can, can help respond to contemporary ills um, by looking to uh, a conception of high culture uh, that nonetheless retains a certain sense of view of individual freedom and individual equality. So that's that's next up, um, and 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 uh, we'll see what, what, where we go from there. Yeah. Well, until then, uh, we all have uh, Jeffrey's book, The Infinite Autonomy, that not only is a award winner, also has a great cover uh, okay. that uh, that if you go out and, and buy, you will see. Uh, Jeffrey Church, thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thanks so much, Keith. It was a pleasure.